Welcome to Good News. We're brought to you by Listening for Clues. We are Lauren Welch and John Shimatek, deacons in the Episcopal Diocese of Maryland. We sure are. And today, we're really excited to bring you some good news from Kenya. Our special guest today is Dr. Sharon Runge, who is the Executive Director of Kenya Connect USA, a nonprofit that's working in rural Kenya with the mission of enriching and engaging students and teachers. With 21st century skills through an array of programs at 63 partner government schools. In this position, Sharon works with Kenyan-led staff to develop partnerships, raise funds, develop and expand programs, and lead volunteer trips, which sounds interesting to me right off the bat. Sharon holds a PhD from NYU, an MA from Boston College in Higher Education Administration, and a bachelor's degree from the University of New Hampshire in Child and Family Studies. Welcome, Sharon. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Well, thank you. I'm really glad to be here, too. We are happy to have you, Sharon. So to begin with, you have been involved with Kenya Connect for a long time, not just as executive director. What was it that inspired you to be involved in Kenya Connect? Well, that's a great story. So my children went to St. John's Parish Day School in Ellicott City, and they started a pen pal program with Kenya Connect. That's how Kenya Connect originally started, as connecting kids around the world as a way to learn about each other, to practice writing, and to be global citizens. And so at St. John's, they started the pen pal letters, and I was working at the school at the time doing fundraising in the newly expanded lower school. And I was helping out with the project, and the executive director at the time, Tim Gregory, said, you know, go to Kenya, you can come with me. And, you know, my brain was on fire because I thought, geez, I, I, I would love to go to Kenya. And so I went home and I said to my husband, Mike, what do you think if I went to Kenya? And he goes, I think you should do it. Now, meanwhile, I had two young children. I had like a seven and an eight-year-old. And I found myself on a plane going to Kenya with Tim Gregory, the executive director, and Reverend Rosemary Beals, who was a chaplain at the day school at the time. And Rosemary and I at one point looked at ourselves on the plane and said, we barely know these people. What are we doing? But we got there and my life changed. You know, I met James Misioka, who was the executive director on the ground. And I just fell in love with the community and what they were doing. And at that point, they were doing a lot of pen pal programs. Schools like St. John's were raising funds for our partner school. And there were just so many needs. So I started volunteering with the organization and then eventually became executive director after Tim had stepped down. So it has grown since then. What more are you doing now? So around 2012, we shifted from just doing the pen pals and assisting with school repairs and adding water tanks to really looking at how we can strengthen education in a holistic way. So part of that was looking at what the needs were by talking with the teachers, talking with community members. And although, you know, putting on school roofs and adding new desks was needed, that wasn't really strengthening education. That was infrastructure that we believe the Kenyan government should do. So we shifted our focus to have our program be more about enrichment. So we started a small library. 
in 2012, we built our first building and opened the first ever computer lab in the sub-county for students. And we started to do more educational program and probably most importantly at the time, teacher professional development, because most of the teachers at that point were teaching in a very rote methodology where students came in the classroom, there were right and wrong answers, mostly students were memorizing, all to prepare for the high-stake testing. And we started working with teachers to have them look at students in a more student-centered approach, really encouraging them to have students be reading, not just for the test, but just so they could improve their fluency and comprehension and have fun reading, and then learning, doing the digital learning. So we really started looking at education from how can we help students learn more, not just for the test, but for their future lives. At the same time, we started looking at some of the barriers that students were facing and why they weren't coming to school. And we, we had been doing that for a bit with installing water tanks, but then we started, thanks to a volunteer trip, installing hand washing stations so students could wash their hands before that was really the COVID thing to do. healthy. Um, and one of our volunteers at the time was a nursing student, and she really thought this was important. So she looked at some low-tech hand washing stations and sent us some pictures, and the local craftsmen created these hand washing stations, and we now have 75 hand washing stations at our 63 partner schools, and we're making liquid soap. So we really tried to look at those barriers as well as educational programs. Well, that's really amazing. So you're actually involved with 63 different schools at this point? Yes. Yes. One of the things that early on when Kenya Connect was founded and then we continued with the mission is working within the system. You know, a lot of NGOs go over to Kenya or other places in Africa and they say, geez, I'm going to build a model school and improve education because we know how to do it. But what happens usually is, you know, it's hard running an NGO. And after 10 years, you kind of burn out a little bit and it's hard to raise resources. But we felt it was more important to work within the system because we could reach more students that way. Often model schools wind up charging tuition. You know, we're working within the government system, which means we're working with students and families who really have no other resources for education. They can't go to private schools. So we've been training those teachers and working with those students. And the Ministry of Education supports our efforts. They're pretty excited because we're bringing in resources that they just don't have. And so, Sharon, was that always kind of the case when you started working there? It seems to me like, you know, going to a country that is really a completely different culture from, from ours. How was that accepted initially? I think, you know, because, you know, when Tim started the organization, he had a, a music educator background. So he was really interested in the culture and the music and dancing within the community. And, you know, communities love to bond together, especially the community in Wamunu where we were is especially welcoming. And I think that's probably what drew me to the community because I don't think I've, and I've traveled, but I don't think I was ever at a place where people were so welcoming and excited to see you despite not having a lot of resources. And even though we were coming from the West, they were excited to hear what we had to share. So from the beginning, it truly was a partnership. And we've continued that model of partnership. 
So when I travel over with volunteers, you know, it's always hard to know who's getting the most out of the trip, the volunteers mm -hmm. from what we've learned um, from our colleagues and our friends in Kenya or what we've brought over. And I think that model of working together as a team, not us in the United States saying, geez, we know the best way to do education and you should be following it. And we now have a staff of 21 on the ground who are taking our germs of ideas and making them culturally relevant for the community and designing them in ways that work for them. So you have a model of truly empowering people. That's our goal. And we in the United States do a lot of the fundraising and friend raising and partnership building because we have access here. It's hard for NGOs in Kenya to raise money just within country to fund the kind of the program we're doing and having people from outside of Kenya helping with some needed resources have been really essential to the growth. But but we see it as a partnership. When I've brought volunteers over, they feel like they're part of a Kenya Connect family. I mean, when we go there, we actually get Kamba names. And Kamba is one of the ethnic groups in Kenya. And the first visit when Reverend Rosemary and I were there, we went to visit our partner school. And there were 300 children there and were being introduced. And all these children are looking at us, you know, sometimes when people from the U.S. come, it's the first time they've ever seen an American. And so we're, we're standing in front of the school and James Musioka says to the children, well, what should their name be? And suddenly there was this murmur with the children and they were all like chattering and suddenly a name comes forth. And I was given the name Mutanu, which means joyful. I think the whole time I was in Kenya, I never stopped smiling. Every volunteer that's come over to Kenya Connect gets a combination. name. It's special to bestow something like that. Sharon, you've mentioned a couple of times so far about volunteers and how do you find volunteers? What do they do? Do they need certain skills or training? How does that all work? Yeah. So we, I usually lead two to three volunteer trips a year over to Kenya and they're usually about 10 days in length. And initially, because I'm a member of St. John's Episcopal Church, we had volunteers that were coming with me from St. John's or St. John's Parish Day School. And now that the scope is enlarged, some of them are still from St. John's. We've had members from Trinity Episcopal Church. We have a member from the Severna uh, Park United Methodist Church coming with us this year. And then just people who became friends of our work and were interested in traveling over. We have a partnership with PayPal, and we've had PayPal employees come with us. And basically, when volunteers come, they work in the classroom with us or on some of our enrichment programs. So unlike some nonprofits where they go and might build a building or, or dig a well, what our community really needs are people to come that might model an effective teaching method, help teachers learn how they can do teamwork in the classroom. So we've had non-teachers come over who have helped demonstrate something like engineering and team building through building towers together out of toothpicks and gumdrops uh, yeah, to carry yeah, over. Yeah. You know, and the students have a competition who can build the biggest tower. So, so we try to model lessons in the classroom. Sometimes we have volunteers help us with distributing our reusable sanitary pad kits that are locally made by women. Sometimes people with business expertise work with our business manager and our executive director there. So 
we can find uh, different projects that people can work on. You know, we just ask when we have volunteers, you know, we, we screen because we are in a developing country. Conditions are not the same as the U.S. So if you get uncomfortable on bumpy roads, because when we visit our partner schools, they're up on riverbeds and we're on a school bus, bounce, bounce, bounce. You know, if you get sick on a bus, it's not a good trip for you. And if you're looking for Hilton kind of accommodations, that's not going to happen, right? You. Yeah. You know, and and we want people who are open to the community and willing to work alongside while people are with us. We also do some cultural things. We visit a traditional homestead. The volunteers learn some traditional kamba song and dance and get to participate. We see basket weaving. And Wamunyi, the village we're in, is also known as the center of wood carving in Kenya. The Wamunyi wood carvers are fairly famous. So we go and we see the men wood carving and if people are interested, they can purchase items. I don't think we've had a volunteer who has come with us that it hasn't changed their life in some way. Sharon, this sounds wonderful. I, I wonder what obstacles have you had to overcome with this? One of the challenges always is funding, of course, to run an operation like this. You need to be constantly raising funds. And a lot of times funders want to give for specific projects, which sometimes is wonderful. But sometimes we just need general operating support because really what makes our work happen is our program staff. And we work with the most amazing men and women who just are dedicated to what they're doing. And about six of our staff actually went to our partner schools as primary school students. And they were inspired by Kenya Connect and went to university and now are working for us. The effects of climate change are real. In a country like Kenya, Last year, they missed three cycles of rains, and it's a real challenge at our schools when the rains don't come because it means crops are failing, which means families are often hungry and students are coming to school hungry, which means they don't learn as well in school. And so that's been a real challenge for us. In our community, most of our homesteads have no electricity or running water, and internet access is scarce except for what we're doing. And so really trying to think creatively about how we can bring Chromebooks to the classrooms with a hotspot so students can learn computing and coding, which is mandated by the Kenyan curriculum, but there's no devices in it. So there's obstacles there of infrastructure, obstacles with climate change, and certainly the never-ending need for funds. But we've always been fortunate and people have been generous with us, and so we just keep telling our story. And as you continue to tell your story, I'm sure that your volunteering and your funding will only increase. <laughs> yes, yes. And I think one of the things too for people who travel with us, and especially people who have some kind of faith belief, our, our community has deep, deep faith. And when I go as an Episcopalian, I often find my spirit is renewed in ways that it's not always renewed here, I hate to say. I see people deeply faithful and living in extreme conditions. When I was there in October last year and the rains didn't come for three cycles, I was worried and thinking, who should we be contacting about trying to get some food assistance to some of the schools? And our staff would say, have faith that the rains will come. And sure enough, they didn't come when they were supposed to come, but they wound up coming in February. And I learned from the staff each time I come, each time I go. And I think our other volunteers feel that too. 
I was going to ask you what this has meant to you personally, but you just answered. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been such a gift to me and I'm so grateful that Tim invited me to go to Kenya and that I said, yes, sometimes when I reflect back on my experience with Kenya Connect, I think sometimes in our life we're offered opportunities and uh, sometimes we say no just because we think it's too much of an obstacle. Like, you know, will the kids be okay without me? Mike's working full time. Will he manage? Is this really the prudent thing to do? And for some reason, my inner voice said go. And my husband was incredibly supportive. And and I went. And I never would have guessed at that point that this is where I was going to be and, and really become maybe the m most important life work I, I've done besides raising kids. It's just been such a dream for me personally. That's great. I'm sure the needs are ongoing. You've talked mostly about the educational piece. If you could identify the, the most significant needs right now that, that people can help with. Funding's always important. And if there's one of our programs, when you visit our website, we're happy to designate funds that way, or if you want them to go to general operating. One of our newest programs right now is a program called the Girl Boy Empowerment Program. And it, it came as a result of during the pandemic, there was a three-month period when schools were first shut down that the Kenyan government started monitoring unplanned teen pregnancies. And we found out in our county alone that 3,964 girls became pregnant during a three-month time period. And we found out at our partner schools, 98 girls became pregnant and 26 of those were in primary school. So we're talking about sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. And we were horrified and just knew we needed to do something. So our team on the ground wound up meeting with stakeholders. So they pulled together the child protection officer, the local nurse, the police, the teachers, parents, some of the local pastors and said, we're seeing this. What are you seeing? And everybody was seeing the same things. And the stakeholders were like, can you connect? We need you to do something. So we wound up doing some interviews with parents and teachers and students and found out that, yes, this was going on. But what was more horrifying than the pregnancies was that probably two-thirds of those pregnancies were not consensual. So, you know, young girls being taken advantage by the uncle or by a family friend, sometimes girls exchanging sex for sanitary pads because they didn't have it or food because... Mm -hmm. You know, the pandemic put people in such a bad spot. And we realized we needed to do something. And so we started a program called the Girl Boy Empowerment Program that we've had faculty and students from the University of New Hampshire helping us to design and craft, where we've been working with fifth and sixth graders to a year-long program where they meet weekly to talk about sexual reproduction, how it happens, but also more importantly about things like peer pressure, bullying, consent, respect, boundaries. And we have the girls meet separately with one of our mentors and the boys meet separately. And the program has been just amazing. And last year when we did our first pilot of it, no child in any of the schools that we worked with four schools became pregnant, which we thought was a win. But more importantly, we started getting some stories, especially over the holiday break in December, we had one girl tell her head teacher that her father started touching her inappropriately. She knew it was wrong. She didn't give him consent. And she fled to her grandmother's house because she didn't want to participate in that. And that she told an, another adult 
and that she knew it was wrong and just didn't do what her dad wanted, I think was a real win. And, and we know that there's other girls that that's happened to. And we also engaged the boys because sometimes, you know, there's, there's so much work and it's needed work about educating girls. But if you leave the boys out of the equation, they need to understand about respect and boundaries and peer pressure. And one of the boys group, when the mentor said, what's peer pressure? One of the little boys said, it happens when you're 19 years old. We all giggle when we hear that. But the boy didn't know what it was. And when David, our mentor, explained, the little boy was kind of silent and then said, I think I was involved in peer pressure because my friends all wanted me to steal mangoes off one of the trees. And I, I went along with it. By the end of the class, all the little boys were confessing about things that they had done. Wow. Yeah. But it makes real for them. And our hope is that those students going through this at a, at a kind of a pivotal stage will help them go through. And then at the same time, we've just started this year a program for parents because parents are having trouble communicating with their children about sex and other topics. So we're trying to work with them on how you talk about it. And I know that's hard in the U.S. I mean, I remember talking to my kids about sex and but it's never an easy conversation, but really trying to help the parents have some accurate tools and letting them know that it's never okay for perpetrators to attack children. Wow. You are making such a difference well, in so many people's lives in so many different ways. The breadth of this, of your programming is just astounding. Yeah, I sometimes get amazed. Every day the staff shares pictures with me about what's going on on the ground because I post on social media about things and I'm just blown away. I think it's important that our staff on the ground have a lot of autonomy in running the programs. We might help shape the framework and garner funding, but then they make it, make it run. I think that really works very well. They sound like an amazing group of people. Yeah, and they're a lot of fun. Like, so anybody who wants to volunteer with us, please reach out to me because you go over and you're doing this work, but you laugh and you have fun and you're in relationship in, in, in a way that I don't know if you normally would have that access to a, a, a rural community like that. So Sharon, do you have any uh, final kind of uh, wisdom or advice or comments that you'd like to make? Uh, we certainly will want to know the best way people can support you, reach you, if they want to make donations and so on, you know, we'll put lots of the appropriate links in the show notes, but anything before we get to that, that you'd like to just, uh, just add to the conversation? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's so much important work going on in Africa and Africa has one of the youngest populations in the world. And when I walk into a classroom of students and I look at this 40 eager faces in this packed classroom and you look into some of the students' eyes and you can just see that they're bright and they want to learn, but they lack even the most basic resources. That's true of a lot of other communities in rural Kenya and other places on the continent. And so I encourage people to, like, when you read your newspaper and you see articles about Africa, read them and think about the work and how you can make a difference because it's really fulfilling. Whether you get to volunteer with us or you donate. We do a lot of newsletters that let you know how your funds are making a difference. A $50 donation helps. A $100 donation helps us. So certainly donating. Follow us on social media. Like I can promise you, you'll just, you'll smile some mornings when you see what our staff is doing. 
if you're ever interested in volunteering, please reach out to me. And, you know, you can reach out to me at Sharon at CanYouConnect.org or go to our website, www.CanYouConnect.org. We're on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. So we're around. We have some great videos on our website that you can see what our village looks like. And, and then I would just say, follow your dreams. If you ever get that invite or have that little nudge that, geez, like, I might want to do this. Like, do it. Do it while you can. So I, I think it just makes you realize, well, I don't feel like I'm just a U.S. citizen. I see that I'm a, a world citizen and that we're, we're all on this earth together. And how can we work? How can we learn and work with each other? That's to connect and can you connect, right? Yeah. Like, just, it's there. It's all about relationship and being with people. Yeah. It, it, re it really is. And I, I think that's true of our board here in the U.S. and our staff in Kenya and, and just, just the communities. Yeah, it's, it's really an amazing place. So we'd love to have a donation. We do an annual 5K race every year in Ellicott City in March. So stay tuned for that. And you can walk or run or you can do it virtually. It's March 23rd, 2024. It'll be our 10th anniversary race. Wow, okay. And in September, we're actually doing just a fun, you know, friend raising, little fundraiser at the Manor Hill Brewery in Ellicott City called Kegs for Kenya. And I think our director of technology, Patrick Mugunti, will be here with us. So you want to meet one of our staff from Kenya, it'll, it'll be great. And it'll be a fun event with some good food and some beverages. And Lots going on. You're doing so much Lots good. And Sharon, on. we both appreciate so much your being here, taking the time to be with us today and hearing so much about Kenya Connect. As I mentioned earlier, there'll be a slew of links in the show notes. All those social media links will be there. Again, thank you. And, and this has just been a great, a great educational resource for me today. Well, it. thank you, Lauren and John. This has been really fun for me, too. I, I love talking about Can You Connect, as you can tell. Thank you to your listeners and viewers for tuning in. Thank you, Sharon. John and I want to thank those who watched and those who listened to this good news today. We are so grateful that you took the time to, to be with us. We couldn't do it without you. We'll ask you to comment, like, and share this good news that you've heard today from Kenya Connect. Until next time, peace and blessings. Good news is being brought to you by Listening for Clues. You can find us on our website, listeningforclues.com, our YouTube channel, our Vimeo channel, and just about every podcast platform that there is. Hope to see you soon.